Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And today I have the one and only Mr. Randy Powell on the show. So do me a favor, do your friends and family a favor, do everybody a favor and go on ahead and share this out and stay with us. You're going to love this man. He's a good dude. Stay with us. And we are back. Let me bring Randy on the show. Randy, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, Ken. Dude, I'm watching you. I see a little thumbnail. You're doing the flight of the bumblebee in the background. (laughs) So awesome, man. So Randy, I started this show a little over four years ago and, Uh um, you know, it's it's literally about helping people get unstuck in life. And so, I, you know, look, we've all been through the stuff. We all get to go through the stuff and um, life can be difficult at times. So let's 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 talk to people about you, your story and where it all started for you. Talk about where you were born and raised first. You know, Ken, I was I was actually born in Boston, Massachusetts. However, I don't mem- remember much about Boston. We left as an army brat and we moved south into New Jersey. I don't know if you ever heard of it. Fort Dix, New Jersey. It's an yep. army training center yep. similar to the Pendleton Training Center out here in Southern California. OK, yeah, so it's a large army base. And again, we grew up in a multicultural town outside of mcguire air force base in fort dix new jersey so that was my home okay and um so that's that's kind of i was born there and ended up in south jersey so wait you said you went you moved down to new jersey well in, is in it down words, well down 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 from boston i mean it's south it, of down. Yeah. is jersey south of boston it's way south Man, I have got to study my geography a little bit more, I reckon. I did yeah. not realize that. Wow. Yeah. So so you went so you you were raised in Jersey then? Yeah, right outside of Philadelphia in a little town called Mount Holly, New Jersey. Wow. And, wow. and you know what's what's interesting about Mount Holly? It was the county seat. And okay. it's not far from Atlantic City, 55 miles to the coast and 20 miles to Philadelphia. And 150 miles south of there is Washington, D.C. Okay. So it's it's located in a pretty cool area. And New York City is only 70 miles north of there. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you some of the fantastic people that came out of that area. Carl Lewis, he grew up in Willenboro, New Jersey, the track star, the famous yep, track star. Yep, yep. And I went to the same high school as Franco Harris, who played with the Pittsburgh Steelers. So Go we all Steelers. grew up in, we all grew up in the same town, same, Did same you really? area. You went to high school with Franco? He was, I was a freshman and he was going on to bigger and better things. Oh, got it. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That boy, that was back in the day then. Back in the that's, day. That's, that's, uh, let's, I mean, Jersey, you've got, isn't Billy Joel from, from Jersey? Or, I think he is. I think uh, or John Bon Jovi is from mm-hmm. Jersey. And I, I mean, a lot of Jersey like, boys out there. Yeah. I mean, really, you're part, you're, you're, you might as well say I'm also, I'm part of Philly too. Cause yeah, like, absolutely. And that, that you got Will Smith. You got, I mean, all kinds of stuff. That's, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. So, so, <clears throat> so growing up there, what was it like for you? You were an army brat. So that mm-hmm. means your father was in the military, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. What was that like for you? Did did you um, did you get away with the stuff kids get away with today? Absolutely <laughs> not. Absolutely not. In fact, a lot of that stuff, you know, it just sticks with you. My mom was pretty heavy handed, if you will, back in the day as well. And yeah. my mom and dad divorced. And, and then when that happened, of course, she carried on the tradition of 
you know, she had three boys she had to keep straight and uh, on the straight and narrow, as they say. Yeah. So she was a strong, independent woman herself. And so wow. was my grandmother. And we were raised to we were raised to respect each and every person and treat people as we wanted to be, be treated. And, and it worked out well for all three of us. The sad part of that is my oldest brother was 21 when he passed away. I was 14. Oh, Lord. And so that particular day when I found that out, my mom happened to be uh, dating a guy who was a flight engineer in the Air Force at that time. And he's the gentleman that uh, I really looked up to him. He was a he was a great guy, gave us a lot of guidance. And uh, he's the one that actually shared with me and, and brought me into the car and sat me down and said, uh, today, you're going to have to become the man of the house and uh, told me about my oldest brother passing away. And uh, my oldest brother was my best friend at that time. Oh, man. So I grew up wow. kind of fast and very protective over my younger brother back in that day. But uh, as life goes on, we push through these challenges and we grow through them, right? What I, Do you mind me asking what happened? How, how did he? You know, Kenny, his name was Kenny. And again, he was he was a bookworm. He was a guy who would do nothing but study. He was a, a really genuinely nice guy. Yeah. And I looked up to him. And what happened was he was in on the computer age, the digital age early on. He yeah. went to this school called the RCA Technical Institute in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Okay. okay. And studied uh, digital technology and went to work for digital computers. I don't know if you remember them. They were early in the day when the computers came down to a very small uh, box. Yeah. yeah. And he was working in New York City. Uh, he was about about ready to get get married, actually. And he was doing really well. He came to my eighth grade graduation and he had a pair of, of shoes that were really cool looking shoes. And the thing that I remember about one of the lessons my brother always taught was to never promise something if you didn't plan on keeping your promise. Mm. And he had promised he'd send me this pair of shoes and the shoes never came. And I, I thought it was kind of strange, but this particular day I was coming home with some friends from the mall and these cars were all around the house. And I thought, okay, something's going on. But of course I never dreamed that they would eventually tell me that my brother had passed away, but he passed away very quickly from a brain hemorrhage. Oh, man. So he came home to his girlfriend's house. He said he had a horrible he uh, headache. He laid down. She went to get him some aspirin. Back in those days, everything was aspirin, right? It was sure. a cure -all. Yeah. And she came back, and he was he was gone. Oh, my Lord have mercy. Yeah, wow. So, so it was pretty, pretty I mean, interesting how quick that can happen. At 21? Yeah. Man, that just goes to show you that you never – no, you just don't know. No. And had I known what I, you know, as I look back now, you know, we get these wake up calls in life. In fact, I have a keynote speech titled the wake up call. And, you know, you can have those small, innocent wake up calls. And then you can have those really huge wake up calls that have a huge lesson to them or an eye opening thing that you, you know, you take through life with you. Yeah. And I would call that one of the wake up calls, even though I didn't know I was too young to know at 14. Right, but right. The, the wake up call, the lesson from that is to, I remember my brother, never, never make a promise that you don't intend to keep because be a man of your word mm. and, and people will respect that. And I understood why the shoes never came and that stuck in my head. He mm. couldn't possibly send the shoes. Wow. But at 14, at 14, you know, you don't know what that lesson is until later in life. Right, right. Wow. That's powerful, man. That's yeah. powerful. Yeah. So what, so from that point um, forward, um, you had to be the man of the, the house and, yeah. and how, how did that go for the next several years? You know, I was a jock. I, I wanted to play football. Um, you know, all young, young men, you know, that are jocks or, you know, in, in those days, you know, I ran track. I, I did some things on the track field, yeah. but football was really was my, I was crazy about football and I played defensive back and the school had a great, the school we went to had a great wrestling team, a great basketball team, a great track team. The sports program was just phenomenal, but I got uh, hurt in my third year 
And so that kind of threw that to the, to the wayside, so to speak. Yeah. But, um, being, being the man of the house, taking care of my mother, she worked two jobs and it was just one of those things where you did everything you could do to keep the house going from cooking to cleaning, to taking care of my brother and, and looking out for him and trying to be some, some sense of normalcy, having some yeah. sense of normalcy. And yeah. he was young. So the good news is he didn't suffer some of the pain, you know, but, um, he, I don't even know to this day that he truly has too many memories at all of your brother. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, um, I, I mean, I feel like I'm asking rhetorical questions, but, um, did you see, did, did you, did your, um, how do I put this? Did you watch your mom, um, and or your dad? I don't know if your dad was around still or not, but, um, did you watch them? Did, did you watch it have a really strong and bad impact on them? I, I can't, I can't you know, even imagine. Yeah. I, I'm not sure the impact that it had on my dad. Um, you know, he, uh, obviously he was at the funeral. They were divorced at the time. Yeah. Right. And he, he was there for the funeral. There was some, some positive and some negative around him coming to the funeral, as I recall. And I recall being very, very hurt. He's he yeah. was working for the EPA. He had got out of the military and he was working for the EPA. And at the time he gave me his business card and he said to me, if you ever need anything, give me a call. Well, that kind of struck me as very, very strange and hurtful. Yeah. Um, but in terms of my mom, you know, I really just stayed really close with my mom. We were we had a very, very close relationship up until when she passed away. And I think that being that I was so close to her, I was I learned a lot from the female perspective yeah. and I learned a lot about being sensitive to other people and really developing that caring re relationship with people. One of the things that my mom did, and we didn't grow up wealthy at all. We weren't poor. We never wanted anything. My mom made sure of that, but we weren't, you know, my mom bought her first house for $15,000 on the other side of town in a yeah. better neighborhood. And she worked really hard to buy that home. It was three floors. The third floor had an apartment and she rented that out. And like I said, we never really wanted for anything. We had everything we needed, but we weren't we weren't anywhere close to being well off or wealthy or anything like that. But what was most important to my mom was community and, and helping young men. All of my life, I remember her uh, bringing the young men into the house to kind of, I would say, kind of sort of guide them and raise them a little bit if they didn't have a place to go, if they were headed down the wrong road. She did a lot to uh, to curb their appetite for trouble and things of that nature. Yeah. And she put a lot of young men on the right path. And that kind of rubbed off, you know, with me throughout yeah. my life. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it explains why you do what you do today. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that years ago, though. <laughs> right. 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 No. It's funny yeah. how we look back and go, okay that event or this thing happened and that kind of guided my, you know, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. So, so you, you, um, you, you went to, um, I want to say in West Philadelphia, but it wasn't, it was the other side. <laughs> you know, it's kind of, it's kind of like the first time I, I went to Longview, Texas. I used to work for Fleetwood, uh, motorhomes, travel trailers. And yeah, we, yeah, yeah. We had a travel trail in Longview. And the first time I went from corporate office out here, <laughs> to Longview, they greeted me and they said, well, where are you from? And I said, I'm from Southern California, Riverside, California. And they said, oh, you mean West Texas. Oh, gee, is that what that is? Oh, my God. So uh, that's my first lesson about how big Texas is, right? Texas is huge. We're going there this week. So, so, so you, I mean, you went to high school, you graduated, I'm assuming. Did you mm -hmm. go to college? I went to college later in life. What happened with wow. me, I, I went, I had a girlfriend and her father was a warrant officer and he was a recruiter with the Air National Guard oh, out no. there at March Air Force or at McGuire Air Force Base. Yeah. Um. So what happened was he, he asked me a question one day. He said, had I ever thought about 
going into the Air Force or the Air Force Reserve or the National Guard. And I said, no, I guess I hadn't really thought about it. You know, I studied art as a young man and my mom wanted me to go to art school. Mm. And I had won many contests, oil paintings and things of that nature. Oil, I took private art lessons as a young kid. And so I had this thing for art, but I went ahead and joined, ended up joining and went into the Air Force. Oh, wow. And I started off, at, and I was 19 years old. I started off as a jet engine mechanic. And then I went into explosive safety, weapon systems, and those kinds of things. Wow. And then I spent a lot of time uh, kind of moving in within the organization, within the departments that I was at. And then I left after 22 years, and I went to work for Northrop. Wait a minute. You were in the Air Force for 22 years? Yeah, yeah. Well, first off, thank you for your service. Oh, thank you. Second, it seems almost... Um, it seems almost like it was a, a like a an, a second thought, like a, an accident almost. <laughs> well, it, it was because I was trying to find, you know, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I, I wasn't sure. So that kind of was an accident. I kind of got guided over there. Yeah. And, and it turned out really well. I think part of it was if I was going to date his daughter, maybe he thought I should have some kind of security. <laughs> I, I mean, right. You know, that's not a bad idea. No. And, you know, yeah. back in those days, we need a lot of guidance, you know. Yeah. So yeah. what happened was uh, I left there and I went to work for Northrop wow. in advanced programs in, in Los Angeles and worked on some special projects. Wow. Um, because of the because of the explosive safety background. Now, were you ever an officer in the Air no, Force? No, no, I was an NCO. No, I was a. I, I, I left as a master sergeant. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, um, now was this the Air Guard or was it the? It was the Air Guard. Okay. okay. So I did some active duty, but it was primarily the Air Guard. Got and it. I, when I left, I left. I was running the ground safety uh, office. So I was in charge of all of the safety activities on the ground. And then of wow. course my, my boss was the chief of safety and he was responsible for flight operations. So we worked together. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. My he nephew, was an officer. My, he was a Colonel. That's awesome. Well, my, my nephew's an F 16 pilot in the Ohio air guard. Awesome. So, yeah. So, um, but again, thank you for your service. Oh, and so you. you went to work for Northrop. Is, is it just Northrop or was it Northrop? Now, back then it was Northrop. Now it's Northrop Grumman. Grumman. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So now how long did you do that? I was at Northrop for three years. Okay. And so what happened, we had some guys, it was a special operation. And what happened, my boss was retired Air Force. Okay. And he brought in a group of, of guys that were all out of the service, right? Yep. Yep. And what we all had specialty areas. So the things that we were working on there, we all kind of really gelled together very well. Okay. And so that led to a few people deciding they wanted to leave because we were running out of time. We were testing some things. And if the things were, worked out well and you know politics is involved in there and how yep. soon we're going to grow the program and all that mm -hmm. so some people ended up going up to the high desert and what happened for me i stayed i had a 60-day notice but the 60-day notice was because we knew that the program was going to be put on the shelf that we were working on yeah well they were doing some things up in the b2 division up in the high desert and I had a couple of the guys that I knew that were in my department that worked in the high desert. So I kind of let them realize that, hey, these guys live up there. Maybe they would want to transfer to the B2 division. So I kind of looked out for other people and they got jobs with the B2 division. They transferred. Lo and behold, I was going to my last meeting and they found out I was being let go because of the program shutdown or being put on the shelf. Yeah. And they said, why didn't you tell us? And I said, well, because those guys live up there. I live in the low desert. So they're closer to the B2 division. Why would I not, you know, make sure they had a home? Right. And right. so they said, no, 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 that's not going to work. We're going to take you as well. So I ended up going up to the B2 division for a little while. Wow. 
And then I was at a meeting with a, a group of guys uh, for the, uh, uh, it was ASSI, the Association of Safety and uh, Engineers, and we were at a dinner. And one of the guys said, hey, you should come work for Fleetwood Enterprises. And I said, I should. Well, what's Fleetwood? Right. <laughs> and right. they said, oh, my goodness, Fleetwood Enterprises, we're the largest manufacturer of motorhomes and travel trailers and blah, blah, blah. And we're in Riverside, California. So I said, okay, well, maybe I'll come visit you guys. So I did. And long story short, I ended yeah. up going to work for Fleetwood. Wow. How long did you do that at Fleetwood? I was at Fleetwood nine years, traveled okay. all across the United States. We had a, a, it was a very, very large organization. Great. It was a multi-billion dollar company. Sure. And it was a really good company. But what happened, I started seeing them that, you know, the, the senior leaders started retiring. Yeah. And you yeah. know how that transitional period goes. And they started bringing in people that mm, didn't really know the business, like our leaders. Yeah. yeah. And I thought, you know, maybe it's time to move on. You know, you get those messages, those innocent wake up calls. Right. Maybe it's time to shift. So yep. I ended up shifting and going over to Miller Brewing Company in Irwindale, California, on the, on the way to Pasadena. OK. And I ended up going there as a safety and security manager. And I was at Miller for three years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And that was a that was a crazy experience. It's you know, we say it's just beer, but. It was a large operation. It's twenty four seven. I had three departments under me, and yeah. there was always something exciting going on. <laughs> we, uh, you know, right here in uh, Columbus, Ohio, we have a humongous Anheuser Busch plant. I mean, yes. it's huge. Yes, and it, it, the, it's not just beer. <laughs> there's there's a lot going on there. Yeah. So so you know, and and Debbie makes a a great point here i like that you're open to opportunities placed in your path so there seems to be a pattern of that like you go you know what mm -hmm. <clears throat> i can move on from this over here to this and mm -hmm. and no problem let's let's roll let's do it right um where do you think and i liken that to an entrepreneur's <laughs> spirit right mm -hmm. like where do you think that originates in you where where does that come from well you you know i i, I tell everybody my wife and her, well, let me back up. I didn't necessarily grow up with the entrepreneur mindset back in the day, so to speak, you know, you were taught to get a good job, go to school, get a yeah. better job. Yep. And that was the mindset and your parents meant well, but unless you grew up in an environment where there were business owners and, and that sort of stuff, it didn't really, you didn't really have, it didn't rub off. Right. So I don't call myself a natural, if there is such a thing, a natural entrepreneur. I'm, I'm learning. I'm work in progress. But what happened was I, I married a great young lady, and by nature, she is an entrepreneur. And she, even though she came out of the business world like I did, she migrated into it much quicker, faster. Mm. But her father was a natural entrepreneur as well. And I think that's where she got it. So some of the influence came from watching her go from private industry into creating her own company, her own business. So my wife owns an accounting firm, small accounting firm, but also does CFO work and things of that nature. So she's got that move around spirit. And I think right. watching her made it a little easier for me because she kind of pushed me a little when she said, do it for fun or do it for serious, but let's get moving. <laughs> I love that. So she so said, do it as a hobby or just make a business out of it, but make up your mind. And I had never had anyone say that to me with love and, and, um, and care and all that. So what happened, actually, I never thought that I had a gift for speaking or communicating or sharing or connecting with people from that sense. But I'd always been in a leadership role in all of my history, whether yeah. it was in the military, whether it was in, you know, just in business itself. And because of that, I think that part of it, when I first started thinking about what my wife had to say, but how the whole thing started, Ken, is in terms of where I am today and what led me to where I am today, you know, there were some other wake-up calls in life that occurred. And I, I share a few of them, but I'll share the one that got me where I am now. Sure. I um, have been working since I was 14 years old. My first job, my mom would allow me to ride a bus 
all the way to Pensacola, New Jersey from Mount Holly. And I had to change buses twice. And her thing was, if you work, I'll come get you at night at 10 o'clock when the mart closes. And she wow. never failed. She was always there to pick me up. Wow. And so as I moved forward, and I had always been working all of my life, in 2013, I went to work, well, I was working for the smallest company I had ever worked for. And there again, there were the founder of the company passed away. And there were some mm-hmm. other things that jiggled and, and, and all that and happened yep. and shifted. Yep. And I started speaking up because I saw some things that didn't fit well with me. Mm. And, you know, you have to stand for something, right? So I, I kind of stood up for some things. And long story short, um, I came to work one day and they said, um, you're no longer on our team. And that was in 2013. And I had never, never, ever had a bad report from any company I've ever worked for. I always excelled in every angle, everything I did, because I thought if I learn this, no one can take it away from me, right? So when 2013, when that happened, I actually got in the car. I was shocked. I got in the car and I drove around. I live in a pretty good sized little town here, Temecula, California. I don't know if you've ever been here. I haven't. But I was riding around the town a little bit and I'm like, how am I going to tell my wife I actually lost my job? And I was kind of in shock. And I drove home and I told my wife, I said, honey, I lost my job. But what you don't know, Ken, I had already been connected because of my wife with Toastmasters. Mm. And the reason she connected me with Toastmasters is through her boss who said, hey, has Randy ever sat down with a coach? And I said, no, I never sat down with a coach. And so through her boss, (laughs) through her boss, I sat down with a coach and fast forward. The coach said, you should check out Toastmasters. I checked out Toastmasters. So when I lost my job, I had already been a Toastmaster for a couple of years. Okay. And inside of Toastmasters, you know, I was trying to figure out my way. It was interesting. I liked it, but I never saw myself as a speaker. But I was having fun and some great people there. So when I lost my job, I had already secured a coach by the name of Cheryl Rouse. She's a wonderful international speaker. She's an accredited uh, speaker with Toastmasters International. And she also, she was in San Diego at the time. She's now relocated to upstate New York. But anyhow, Cheryl had sat down with me when she first started coaching me. She said, don't give up your day job until you figure out speaking. And you're actually getting paid for it. And I said, okay. So in 2013, I had to sit down with her in San Diego with my wife and let her know that I lost my job. Wow. And she said, great. You've just been freed up to do what you're supposed to do. Well, at the time, I wasn't feeling that. You know? No, right. Yeah. And I looked at my, <laughs> wife, I looked at my wife and she looked at me and I'm like, I, I know I got this look like, what is Cheryl talking about? So we drove home talking about it and everything. We had a nice lunch with Cheryl and she said, Randy, just go back, look at everything you've done, put it all together and think about where you're going next. But you got to go back in time and look at your where you've traveled, the road you've traveled. Yeah. And I didn't understand what she was saying at the time. So we, you know, Susan and I, my wife drove home and one thing led to another and started realizing through Toastmasters that there was something there even though I never really wanted to, to speak. I, I just didn't. I didn't think I had anything to say that would help people or would add value to people. But I wrote a family prayer, Ken, uh, and my family, some, a lot of my family's in Ohio. A lot of my family, wow. my brother lives in Columbus, Ohio, runs a tech company that he wow. that he started from scratch. Yep, about you know 40. that's where I am, right? I do. I do. Okay. Okay. So his name, his company is Brown Enterprises and okay. his name is George Brown. Um, and my mother was married twice. So that's where the Brown comes from. Got my last name's Powell. And, uh, but a lot of my family's in Toledo, Chicago, all in the Midwest. Wow. Yeah. And um, so what happened was I wrote a family prayer and I wrote it in one night. And then we went to the reunion and people were standing up on chairs and, and all that. And on the way home, we're on the plane. And my wife says, that's what you're supposed to be doing. And I said, what? She said, you're supposed to be speaking to people. And I said, you're crazy. <laughs> this, that's not going to happen. It was just a family prayer. And, <laughs> right. And so she said, I'm telling you, sweetheart, that's what you're supposed to be doing. So, you know, I did like most good husbands, as I say on stage, and I ignored her for two years. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
but but you know, as as things go, and God God being who He is and everything, um, right. with Toastmasters in the picture and her saying that, and one thing led to another. My first keynote was uh, with Toastmasters. Wow! And um, so that that was there were about three hundred people in the audience at that time, and it, and it went really well. And so the tran- the real wake up call and transition came from being a part of Toastmasters as well, even though my wife led me to that, because I gave that keynote and then I was speaking again a year later. And this all happened at the same place, Cal Baptist University in Riverside, which is a private university. Yeah. A lady came up to me. They were taking the microphones off of me and I was in the back of the room and people were breaking out, going to the breakout rooms. Yeah. And a lady came up to me. She said, Randy, you don't know me. And I still get choked up when I share this little bit of story. Mm-hmm. And I won't go into it too deep. But she came up to me. She said, you don't know me, but I wanted to say something to you and say thank you. And I said, well, what are you saying thank you to me for? And she said, well, I heard you a year ago and I wanted to come back and hear you again. But I was in a bad place a year ago. And when I was leaving here, I was thinking, or when I came here, I was thinking maybe it's just time to end it all. But I ended up coming here today and hearing you. And when I left here, I was driving and I decided that I'm going to give myself another chance. Wow. And I looked at her and, I, you know, I'm, I'm in shock. I, I, they finally get the wires off of me. And, and I say, I, I didn't know what to say. I just said, thank you very much. And and I ran to, I almost ran to the bathroom. I had a three-piece suit on. I was all decked up. And I started splashing water in the men's room, splashing water in my face because I, I couldn't believe somebody came to me and said that they were thanking me for turning their life around because something bad was about to happen to them. They were that wow. they were in that much trouble. And I never understood, you know, suicide or any of that. I, I just, you know, it's just so far from I love life. Yeah. And when I came out of the bathroom, I know the guys in the bathroom were probably looking at me like, what the heck, you know, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. 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 So that happened. And that was a, a wake up moment for me. And then a couple other things happened within the Toastmasters world where a gentleman was down and out and he came to the club and he had lost everything in Mexico. And he asked me what I sit down with him on Saturdays. He had to rebuild he brought his parents here and he had to rebuild and start another business and try to get back on his feet. But he yeah. left there. He was in trouble. They were in trouble down there. And so I said, I told him, I said, yeah, I'll sit down with you. I told my wife and she said, you're going to sit down with this guy every Saturday. I said, yeah, but he needs somebody to sit down with him. So I did. I sat down with him for about a year and I didn't do much. I just sat with him and listened and tried to give him some, you know, some thoughts yeah. about what I would do. And lo and behold, uh, at one of the other conferences, he came to me, he put a letter in my jacket. He says, Hey, Randy, or envelope. He said, I got to go, but I just wanted you to have this. And you know what, Ken, the funny thing about it, I went to the car and I took off my sport coat that day. And it's about four o'clock in the evening conference is over. And I remember that envelope and I pulled it out. I'm sitting in the car and I open it up and I start reading. It's just a simple one page letter. Yeah. And I, I'm a big guy and I started getting choked up because here's this guy thanking me for pretty much turning, helping him turn his life around. And That's he awesome. loves, he loves salsa dancing. He ended up with a, a professional salsa dancer out of LA and life just went on for him and things just turned around well for him. And wow. um, I couldn't read the letter by myself all the way through. So what happened wow. was I called my wife, I called my wife and I won't, I won't say what the gentleman's name is. And she said, honey, just bring the letter home. We'll finish it together. So we, I did. I got home and we sat on the couch and we finished the letter together. And she, my wife looked at me and she said, sweetheart, I told you this is what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Well, that's that's kind of how I ended up uh, just continuing. And I, you know, I, you know, I said to myself, you know, I was driving home one day and <laughs> had another incident like that. And I finally said, OK, Lord. I'm going to take this serious. Uh, um, if I'm, if this is what I'm supposed to be doing, sharing, you know, support and courage and hope for other people, then I'm just going yeah. to go ahead and do it. So if speaking's the way I'm going to do it, so be it. And speaking led to coaching and that's where I'm at today. Wow. So, so 
I want to I, I want to back up to the because Eric Flanoy, a buddy of mine, is on here um, saying I should join Toastmasters. I've never been in Toastmasters yet. I'm a speaker. I, mm-hmm. I think I think it's it's powerful. Your story is powerful in the sense of um, you know it's even biblical that in the beginning was the word and the word was God and people like you don't, and me, we don't realize how powerful our words are when we're, when we're speaking to people. Right. right? Very we much. have, we literally are everybody. I believe everybody, not everybody uses it, but I believe everybody on this planet is given the ability to, to shape and, and help form the, 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 the future for, for anybody. For yeah. just by the words that we breathe or speak into them. And, and so talk a little bit about that, because I, I, I want you to, to, uh, you know, I want people to wake up to this, what you're talking about. You, you went to Toastmasters, you had no intent. You go to Toastmasters to become a speaker, right? Yeah. Yet you didn't have any intention really of ever be, you were, you were <laughs> dipping your toe in the, in the edge, of the <laughs> right? And, no, and, not and at now all. here you are, man. And and you're yeah. a paid speaker, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I paid yeah, I, you a lot just to be on here. <laughs> it's an honor and a privilege to be here. But you know, Ken, you're an awesome person. I met you I obviously I just recently met you yeah. because of Craig Deswalt and my relationship yeah. with Craig. Yeah. And yeah. Craig, Craig, Craig's an awesome person. And you know, the thing the thing about it, you know, I I think I'm a good person, but I, I don't think that we, you know, we all have our faults. We have our bad days and good days and all that. Yep. Yeah. So, sometimes, you know, I'm often asked, where do you get your energy, Randy? Why, you know, why do you have so much energy? Well, I love life. I, 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 my, I'm living not just because of my ancestors and what they were able to do and help us all push through and the lessons that they taught, not only me, but all of throughout history, but also I'm living, you know, partly for my brother who wasn't, he was a good guy and he, he's, he's not here. And he would have done more, I believe, than even I could possibly dream of. So I'm living life because I love life. And so that's part of where my energy comes from. Yeah. And then to be able to help other people, just the notion of someone saying thank you because you actually helped me just inspires me and, 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 it just makes me happy. That's where the joy. And I didn't do it for money. I didn't start out doing it for money or anything like that. And, you know, yes, you have to make a living and all that. But what I used to give so much because I just felt so good when people overcame a challenge or, you know, I have a client says she could never write a book, yet she's a doctor. And I said, you have so much in you that you could share with especially young women yeah. who when she became a physician out of Syracuse, New York, back in those days, there weren't a lot of female doctors and they had to go through a lot of challenges. And, you know, I shared with her, you can, you got more than one book in you. Well, today she's a published author. And, and so there's just so many things that you can do if you can sit down and get people to open up. And that's what they do with me. They sit down, they open up and we talk and we share and we peel back the onion and we figure out how how we can move them to the next level. And I've been blessed to be able to have that gift. That's awesome, man. That's so awesome. So so um, what's 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 next for you? Well, I've got a <laughs> what's next. I've got a lot of things that are sitting out there. And, and again, you can't do everything at one time, right? And I'm still growing myself, Ken. Just so you know, I yeah. I haven't reached the pinnacle of where I want to to be and so forth. Um, But with that said, my clients come first, the people who, who come to me and ask me to help them overcome a challenge or to help them become more or do more or get more out of life. um, Those are the people that are most important to me in terms of what I do on a daily, weekly basis. Do I have hopes and dreams? Of course I do. Um, I want to continue to build my business and build this new brand Envision Success because I think Envision Success encapsulates everything that I'm about and everything I that I want for other people is to be able to see their potential and then understand that they that they can actually achieve it. Just like you've talked about, you yeah. can overcome. You know, 
until you believe though, until you can crack the code and actually believe, then you got to find somebody that believes in you. You know, you do that for people. You you believe in people before they can believe in themselves. Les Brown does it. I mean, so many people do it. Craig Doeswalt does it. Yeah. Um, I remember I re- I've been following Craig and had been hanging out with Craig and I couldn't afford to be in his mastermind for years. But I hung in there because there was just something about his attractability yeah, and, and the yeah. things he would say. And he was down to earth. You know, I mean, you're down to earth. And those are the kind of people people are afraid, I think, when when they see somebody who's gone to the, such a level, they yeah. think they're out of touch and out of reach. And so they won't ask for help. They yep. don't know how to get to people who they think they put on a pedestal, so to speak. And so they remain down in this little encapsulated bubble because they don't know how to break through it. And so I think that we have our job is to help people ask for help. Yeah, that's one of the things I tell my clients. If you don't ask for help, if you don't surround yourself around great people, if you don't go looking for for really cool people to hang out with and learn from, then you're just going to, you're not going to live your full potential. You have to find the courage to do that. And so I try to help them do that by being a role model for them in terms of asking for help and hanging around people who you can learn so much from. I don't know if that makes sense that, you know, just absorb. Sometimes just being in a room with the right people, the energy, it just pumps you up and gives you the courage to, to ask or to go do or to try something and failure is not an option. You you can fail, but you have to be able to, you have to have the mindset of I'm failing forward. I'm failing to get better. You know? yep. But people are afraid. They've been they've been raised to be fearful and and think they're going to get slapped on the hand even as adults because they did something so-called wrong or they made a mistake or whatever the yep. millions of reasons are, right? We all know them. We all have been there. So, I just see myself yep. having a fulfilling life by helping as many people as I can. I've always had a dream of being, since I decided to speak, uh, for some reason, the the 10,000 is in my mind and it's still there to this day. It's been there for years now. But I started following Craig and then Craig said something to me one day at, he invited me up to uh, the golf course in LA and to one of his little mini masterminds and, and it went around the table and it was a hot seat. And I thought I was just a guest. And he said to when he got around to me, he said, okay, you're up. And I didn't, I didn't have any clarity of purpose at the time. I didn't know really what I was, where I was headed. And everybody in the room, but Craig was the one, they all threw stuff out there based on what they heard. But Craig said, you just need to get out of your own way, Randy. And for a year, I drove home from LA 60 miles. And I'm thinking, what the heck does that mean? Get out of my own way. And it took me an entire year, Ken to figure out what he meant. And yeah. once I figured out what he meant, then things started opening up. Things I, started happening. I think about I think about the, you know, Grant Cardone is a friend of mine and a mentor mm-hmm. of mine. And and um I can remember, you know, I, I I had built a decent sized business, but you know, I was in a position where I needed to make a decision on um literally going to the next level and investing $36,000 in this program with Grant. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I remember, man, like uh, all of these, these um, poverty, I, I did, we didn't grow up like dirt poor, but we right. grew up poor enough. You know, my right. mom worked and, you know, it was, it was, and, and I can remember all of these limiting mindset things. I, I didn't realize at the time, $36,000. I was like, that's a lot of money. Are you that's like a million dollars. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and so, so I, you know, I, I just, I, I see people with a, a, um, a, a lack mentality that mm-hmm. are stuck in a poverty mindset of, well, I can't, if I, but I've learned this that by investing and I've invested a heck of a lot more than that with grant now Mm -hmm. and, and many other people, but by investing in yourself and it it, it literally gives you the ability to provide your clients with better service and everything else. Right. So I've been there, man. I've been in that position where you're like, Oh man, I gotta, I gotta, I I gotta, it, 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 
but you realize like if I'm ever going to get to that next level that I really want to get to, then I've got to, I've got to take that leap of faith in myself and God and, and, and everything else. So um, let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. What do you think in, in your opinion, now the number one answer to this is fear. So you have to do better. Um, But, but what do you think holds people back in life from achieving two things? Number one, real financial success. Um, and number two, and I do think these two things are related, happiness and freedom in life. Like what, look, I, cause I, I know this, I've been homeless and broke and that, that was no fun and I've been wealthy and that's way better. Um, mm. so I do know that, that, you know, being financially stable and, and, and financially successful can have an impact on one's happiness. It's not mm-hmm. that it's, I, I, I love people who go, you know, money's not everything. And I love what Grant says, well, you're, you're broke, aren't you? You know? So like, what do you think stops people, holds them back in life, man? What's the number one thing in your opinion? Well, I, I don't know if it's the number one thing, but I'll sure try to try to get really close. First of all, I agree with you. you you're, the money mindset thing we're not all raised with the understanding of the type of mindset you have to have or you should have. And we don't understand what we can do with money if we actually have money. That's number one. So I think, but prior to that, I think what holds a lot of people up from success or taking a risk is they haven't dealt with their gremlins. And I talk about that a lot in my blueprint for success. The first thing that even though I talk a lot about purpose and my goal is to help people identify their purpose so that they move from where they are to where they want to be, you cannot do that if you haven't dealt with your gremlins. And those gremlins are things that have held everyone back, not only from fear, but being told you're not worth anything to all the things, the ugly things that have been told to people that shocked them early in life that they carry into adulthood. So I think Dealing with your gremlins and reassigning your gremlins is the first thing, first identifying what it what they are. One man said to me, one client said his procrastination is his biggest problem. Well, it's not procrastination. It's the anxiety that he's built around certain things that causes him to procrastinate. So right. that's the same thing as someone saying, well, um, I have a fear of heights. Well, is it really the fear of heights or is it something else? So I think dealing with the gremlins is number one. And then number two, in terms of the money mindset, understanding that freedom and happiness are connected to being able to help yourself financially and take care of other people and do things that you wouldn't be able to do if you had the finances. If you don't have the finances to help other people, then how are you going to ever reach that pinnacle where you're really, truly enjoying life? So I think it's a little bit of both of those two things, understanding the finance. You know, we're not taught financial literacy. We're not really taught the secrets to wealth and yeah. how to create wealth. So what happens is a lot of people start off really late. They they might get a clue later in life, but now they're up against the clock yeah. because many people who were brought up in an environment where their fathers or mothers were together. And they were business people and they had the money mindset right and they had the financial literacy right and they understood. And we don't teach it in school. We don't teach the right things in school about finances and how to create wealth. And why isn't that stuff taught in school? Well, if it was taught in school, then you'd have a lot less laborers and a lot more people creating, becoming creators of something. Because, you know. Thank you. So. so, School's a trap, (laughs) y'all. Well. You know, we need it, but we also have to watch it too. You know, I, I I'll tell you something, man. I had I'm I'm a high school dropout. I left mm-hmm. in twelfth grade, and I uh-huh. never looked back. Never got it. I never got a GED because I thought that's an admission of failure. I'm not doing it. But you know, I I I I remember when I had Brian Tracy on the show because thirty years ago I started listening to Brian Tracy when I realized. I'm an idiot. I need to educate myself. Like I need to take responsibility and start reading books. And, 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 and so Brian Tracy, I'll never forget back in 30 years ago or so when, when he said he was a high school dropout and I was like, no, that's amazing. Yes. I finally felt like there was hope for my life. Right. So, you know, I think that, 
it's about it's it's applying yourself man it's about yeah. going i'm gonna take responsibility for my education i'm gonna read the books i'm gonna yep. do the work yep absolutely and you know i did like you said earlier you asked me about college you know i went in the air force and i did take courses in the community college of the air force and i got my associate's degree in safety and then i when i got out i still hadn't had my four-year degree yet i got my four-year degree here at local at a private university, University of Redlands. Yeah. And, and so school was always important to me. Education was important to me. But the most important thing was actually getting out and doing something, taking Amen. action, taking yeah. action. And it just so happens that entrepreneurial stuff wasn't in my mindset at that time. Now it's all I think about. Yep. And all That's I think right. about is creating value and creating, you know, this thing called wealth. Now, yeah. wealth in my mind set is going to be a little different than somebody like you who's done it for a long time. So I'm inching my way towards that. But I absolutely believe you can't help the world if you don't have anything to help them with. I I, I say that all the time, man. Yeah. Like you can't, yeah. like you ain't helping nobody if you're broke. Abraham my, Lincoln said the best way to help the poor is to not be one, be of, one them. of them. That's right. right. That's like, right. Dude, <laughs> You can't like I I love that man. And my mom that. used to always say, "You can't worry about somebody." We had a big backyard. We did have a lot of grass, and I had to cut that grass all the time. And she would say, "You can't worry about other people's yard until your car your yard is mowed nice and clean too." Amen. It's, it's the same the kind truth. of mindset, right? It's the truth. Yeah. You know, I if if somebody back you know years ago my wife and i started our first office and had some employees and this this dude that worked for me um comes in my office one day and 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 he's a big old boy and he says uh he says hey man uh there's some dude out in the parking lot looking in the windows of your suv and i'm on a call and i'm like dude tell him get the hell out why what mm -hmm. you're bigger than me get rid of him right like and he's like, he's got it blocked with a tow truck. Oh, and yeah. It's like, it's, oh, no. Yeah. Everybody was getting paid except for us. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I remember that day, man, um, feeling like this is as low as low can be. Like, this, mm. this, I can't, life can't get any worse than this. Um, you know, if somebody called you and said, Randy, I've tried everything, man, I'm doing everything. I'm, I'm, I'm working hard. I'm doing all the stuff and I just can't figure it out. I'm at the end of my rope. What, what would you say to them? What words of encouragement would you give them to help them get through this temporary thing? We know it's temporary, but I mean, dude, suicide rates skyrocketed when when they locked everybody down. And, yeah. and you know, I mean, globally, yeah. not just here in the U.S., but globally. Yeah. What do you say to people to help them get through the, the tough times and get on to the next? You know, it's interesting you ask that question, because first of all, if they're within within distance where I can get to them, I'd actually want to sit down with them face to face. There's mm. something about sitting down with people face-to-face -face and looking into their eyes and really hearing what they're saying and empathizing with them. Yeah. But one of the things I would say is, you know, if this is a transitional time for you, maybe right now is the time to ask yourself the three most important questions. The questions that I asked myself when my coach said, you know, you need to go back in time and figure out what, what it was all about, what you've done, your history, so that you can move forward. So I had to ask myself, I, and, and I share this a lot with my clients. Question number one, who am I? Who am I? Question number two, why am I here? Why am I here? And question number three, what am I supposed to be doing with this life that's been given to me at this point in my life? What am I supposed to be doing with this life that's been given to me? Because we only have so much time and we don't know how much time we have been given. And I had a near-death experience with asthma in, mm. the, in the 90s. Wow. And, and that was a wake-up call for me. And the good news is I was close to the hospital, Loma Linda Medical University. I was only I only lived two miles from there when it happened. I share this in my keynote. Wow. Um, it was one of the big wake-up calls because I had never had a specialist, always a general practitioner. And the lesson out of that 
when I got to the emergency room, I got out of the car, but I passed out and woke up three days later intubated. And they told my wife that they weren't sure because I had 0% lung capacity or oxygen. They didn't think they could bring me back, but they were going to do everything they could. And here I am to this day. So there's something still left for us to do if we have life in us. Yep. And I believe that with all my heart and all my soul. And knowing that, you know, he gave me another chance. What I what I said to him when I was in this place, traveling to this place, I asked God, I said, you know, a lot of people think, you know, it's, it's kind of strange to have a near-death experience. I don't know that it is. But I asked him if I could just see my boys grow up to be the fine young men that I hoped they would be, then everything would be okay and I would go with him. And yeah. he actually let me come back. And I also tell people, be careful what you ask for, because I should have asked if I could see my grandkids grow up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> so be well, careful. Even in those, in, even in that place, be careful what you ask for, because, you know, but, you know, so that was that was in the, that was in the 90s. And, and you know, uh, here it is 2022 and through COVID and I still have upper respiratory disease. Yeah. I have asthma. It's under control, been uncontrolled for, for years. Yeah. And here I am still still kicking. So there's some reason why I'm here. And I figured out that my purpose is to communicate and speak and add, add, uh, add something to call value to people's lives that will help them and help their lives be better. And then my life's going to be better. And I'm joyful and happy every day I get up. I'm thankful every day I get up for the life that I have. And I'm not, I'm not a millionaire. Um, I, I will be a millionaire, but I'm not a millionaire. So it's not about money. It's just about being here and doing my part. I love it, man. I love it. And I think, you know, you mentioned getting around the right people and, and proximity is so important, man, who you're mm -hmm. hanging out with. So, I mean, beyond important yeah. and yeah. who you're learning from. And dude, you're, you're awesome. I, I, when I, when we met down at Craig's event, mm -hmm. um, I just felt your energy and I was like, you got to be on my show, man. Well, I certainly like, appreciate it. You're yeah. awesome. And, and I really do appreciate it. And like I said, you're, you're the real deal. Craig's a real deal down to earth yeah. and just Thank willing you. to help people move to the next level. And I certainly want to be around you, be in your, be in your auspice. You're awesome, man. Thank you. And, 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 and where I should have asked this. I always forget to ask this up front. What is your website address? RandyPowellSpeaks.com. Randy Powellspeaks.com. Okay, I'm gonna scroll that across the bottom. Awesome. Is that right? Is that it? Is that yep, it? That's it. Randypowellspeaks.com. Okay. Yeah. Dude, you are a gentleman and a scholar, a good man, a, a great mentor, I'm sure, to a lot of amazing people. Um, Eric Flanoy, go join Toastmasters, my brother. Today, today, go do it, man. You know, I, I do love the, the you know, people are like, I don't know what to, I don't know how to speak. I don't know. And go go to Toastmasters. That's where you yeah. can learn. And, and remember to be yourself. When, no be matter what, whenever you're communicating, just be yourself. You know, they'll teach you the technical stuff. But if you live to connect with other people emotionally, that's where it's all at. And I, I love the fact that people have told me that in Toastmasters, they, they count your ums and your uhs. And, and I'm you. like, dude, they don't want to count mine, man. They don't have, they can't add that high. It's just, <laughs> it's just part of the training process. You don't have to worry about it. I know, man. I love it though. I'm like, I say, uh, and um, oh, I know I do. And we all like, do. Uh, we, I still do it. I've been a Toastmaster <laughs> for 10 years. I love it, man. As a matter of fact, a buddy of mine, um, Jim Cathcart, who's a legend, he's a yes. Hall of Fame. He's doing the opening keynote at, at Toastmasters, Toastmasters International. International. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's. I've been. I. We've been talking about you know some of the. Anyway, I can't go into details on some of that, but that's that's awesome, man. Yeah. yeah. So Allison Turner says I definitely recommend Toastmasters. It helped me so much. So Absolutely. that's awesome. Yeah. That is so awesome. So Randy Powell, you, my friend, are a rock star. I'm going to end the live stream. Thank you for being here today and sharing your heart and your soul and your story. Everybody, make sure you go to randypowellspeaks.com. Follow this guy. You're on social media, I'm assuming. 
Go follow Randy everywhere. Are we friends on Facebook? I hope so. If not, we'll have to do that. I mean, come on, man. Come on. <laughs> so, um, yes. Yeah, so, oh, Roz says Randy will give a mastermind session on September 21st at Entrepreneur Toastmasters meeting, 7 a.m. Pacific time. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right yeah, on. That's going to be fun. Right on. All right. Everybody go, go over to Randy Powell Speaks. Follow Randy everywhere. And, and hey, man, thank you again. I appreciate you being here. Thank you. All right. See you guys later. Have a great day.